This program is brought to you by W. W. Norton and Company, publishers of Poetry Unbound by Patrick Otuma. Now in paperback and featuring immersive reflections on 50 powerful poems. This is Sean Hill reading Governor's Mansion Hands. Milledgeville, Georgia, 1858. The hand in which the laws of the land were penned was that of a white man. Hand, servant, same as bondsman, slave, and necessarily a negro in this context, but not all blacks were held in bondage, though bound by the constructed fetters of race. That expedient economic tool for making a class of women and men kept in place based on the color writ across their faces. A conservative notion for keeping power in the hands of the few. It kept the threat held over the heads of all Negroes, including those free blacks, who, after the coming war, would be called the formerly free people of color. Once we were all ostensibly free. Hands, enslaved, handled clay and molds in the making of bricks to build this big house for the gathering of those few men with their white faces who hold power like the end of the rope. Hand, what's needed to wed, and a ring or broom. Hand, a horse measure, handy in horse trading. We also call the pointers on the clock that go around, marking time in this occidental fashion, handy for business transactions. Hands. The footnotes to Governor's Mansion Hands. One. Footnote 4, Milledgeville, Georgia, 1858. Milledgeville, my hometown, touts itself as the antebellum capital, and it was that, but it was also, for the duration of the Civil War, the Confederate capital of Georgia, and where Joseph Emerson Brown, the governor of Georgia from November 6, 1857 till June 17, 1865, lived with his family in the governor's mansion governors brought enslaved folks, folks they held as property from their plantations to work as household staff at the governor's mansion. 2. Note 4. Hand. Hand, as in handwriting, which is awful in my case, so I type. But way back when, actually only 150 years ago, two long-lived lives by law, few, like me, had a hand. 3. Note 4. The Laws of the Land. What's needed is a note on the laws that constructed race in the colonies and young states. But that deserves a library's worth of writing. 4. Note 4. Negro. 
almost a decade after reading the type script of a letter written by Elizabeth Grisham Brown, Governor Joseph Emerson Brown's wife, I finally got to read the original letter written in her hand. I got to touch it with my hand. I got to verify that she'd written what I'd read in the typescript. I'd thought about this letter she wrote home to her mother and sister at their plantation for near a decade because of its closing sentences. Quote, Hoping you are all well. We will expect to hear from you shortly. Mr. Brown and the children join me in love to you all. End quote. And caught between that and her signing, quote, Yours most affectionately, E. Brown, end quote. She writes, quote, The Negroes send love to their friends, end quote. Those words in that letter struck me when I first read them and have stuck with me since. There is so much there that speaks to the situation those black folk were in then and the situation black folk are in now. I intend for the title of my next book to be The Negroes Send Love to Their Friends. 5. Note 4. In the Hands of the Few. And this arrangement also served the rest who would walk on the white side of the color line so they would readily step at the behest of that narrative of race and their investment in what is white and black. 6. Note 4. Horse Trading Prospective buyers would inspect Negroes like horses or other livestock and look in their mouths. About this poem. I've been thinking about narrative lately, with the murders of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and others. I've been thinking about the stories we tell and the purposes those stories serve. Every night, either my wife or I read stories to our four-and-a-half-year-old son. I've wondered how to talk with him about race, when to talk with him about race, and what that narrative will be. His mother is white. I am black. I've been wondering where to start. In many ways, this poem is part of that thinking. I'm a fan of footnotes, both academic and literary. The footnotes here, which are part of the poem, are the speaker's necessary digressions and elaborations that enable me, the poet, to begin to tell the story of the economically driven narrative that constructed race in this country and the grip it has had and continues to have on society, our cultures, our communities, our families, and our lives.